Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you for worshiping with us today at South Park Church. Glad to be back with you as my family and I have returned from our vacation to the beach. We appreciate the time away. It was exactly what we needed and we were able to do that while we social distanced and we're just glad to be back though. We missed you a lot and I've been excited about this new series that Pastor Lindsay kicked off last week, Turning Pages. And I'm just glad to be a part of that today. And just want to give Pastor Lindsay a, a shout out today. Thank you so much for preaching such awesome messages while I was gone and just for being who you are, Pastor Lindsay. And we're so blessed to have you and just grateful for all of our staff and lay leadership who work so hard to help uh, our congregation lead others in our community to live life to the full in Jesus. And so just so proud of our congregation and it's good to be back with you. When I was in the second grade, I got the chicken pox and it was awful. All those bumps came up on my body and they were very itchy. And I remember going to the doctor and with my parents right after it happened, you know, getting the diagnosis, make sure we knew what it was. And the one thing that my doctor said to us was don't scratch. He said, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult not to scratch. But if you do, you might get scars from your chicken pox that could be with you for the rest of your life. So that message kind of sank in with me. My parents were pretty vigilant to watch over me to make sure that I tried not to scratch. And you know, of course, I was home from school and got through the chicken pox. It was difficult, but really did a good job of not scratching those chicken pox. And so uh, once they went away, I was so heartbroken to find out that on my forehead and my nose of all places, visible places, that I had chicken pox scars. And I was really mad about that because I did a good job of not scratching them. And there they were. And I was about seven years old and knew that when I went back to school, I was going to get made fun of a lot. And so these scars were not something for me to be excited about or to brag about. I know that in our lives, some of us have some really cool scars uh, that hurt at the time, but we can look back and we can say, hey, check this out. I don't know if you've seen the movie Jaws with about the big shark, but there's a memorable mo uh, moment in that movie where uh, some guys are on this boat and they're chasing the big shark. And one night they're sitting around after they've eaten and a couple of them get into kind of a contest of, of comparing the scars that they've received in their lives. Hey, I got bit here. Or I got cut here. And it's this memorable scene. And so maybe you have a good experience with a scar, not at the time, but in retrospect. And so, you know what, if you've got a really cool scar or, or the way that you got that, if you want to take just a few seconds and drop that in the comments right now, love to see some of those scars and stories. Keeping in mind, this is a family worship service, okay? Uh, but what, what kind of scars do you have? All that kind of stuff. And we can maybe have a little contest here. I don't know. But uh, just if, if you feel comfortable to sharing that right now. But in the second grade, I was not happy about the scars. And I remember when I went back into school, sure enough, people made fun of me. And the most common way of making fun of me was, hey, how'd you get those holes in your head? And of course, I didn't have holes in my head. I had dents in my head, I guess, scars in my head. But boy, that set me off. I used to get mad. I used to get sad. I was just super upset about these scars. Uh, thankfully, I've moved forward in my life from that point. I still have them. I don't know if you can see them or not. I kind of a distance from the camera here, you know, so you can't see that. But I'm guessing in your life, you have your share of physical scars. Maybe it's from a surgery. Maybe you burned yourself. Uh, my son, Luke, when he was just a young boy, fell in the kitchen and, and had to get stitches in his head. And so uh, his hair's grown back over that, but I'm sure he's got a really cool scar there. So uh, we, we have scars from painful moments in our lives, but not just physical scars. I think all of us have 
scars inside, like on our heart and in our, on our soul, like emotional scars, relational scars, spiritual scars, pain that we have endured in our lives. Maybe it's uh, scars from abuse that we've had to deal with. And the, and the physical abuse has also brought us mental and emotional anguish, things like that. Many of us have had to face things like uh, racism or sexism and things in our lives like that and just ridicule or rejection, broken hearts. And so I'm guessing that all of us have some type of scars, whether they're physical scars or scars on our hearts and our souls or maybe a combination of, of both of those. And so if, if you have scars and you're wondering like me, is there hope for us to have healing with our scars? Is there hope for us with the brokenness that our scars represent? Right, well, what do we do with our scars? What do we do with our brokenness? What do we do with our past baggage of stuff that just continues to, to drag with us through life? Well, if you ever wondered that, you're in the right place. Because today we're going to talk about scars. We're going to talk about brokenness. And we're going to talk about the hope for healing in our lives. And we're going to do that by looking at a couple of different sets of books. The first is from a secular series of books known as Harry Potter. Maybe you've heard of them, maybe you've read the books, maybe you've seen the movies, visited the theme park, but we're going to talk about, uh, about some scarring that goes on in these books, and then we're going to look at the Bible, and we're going to see some interesting things, some parallel messages in, in this series of books, and then also in the series of books that make up the Bible. So I'm excited about that. I hope you are as well, and so uh, let's dive in with that right now. Well, in 2005, uh, before Laura and I had children, uh, one weekend she was going to go away to see some of her family and some of her girlfriends and just kind of have one of those cool weekends away. And I was going to be by myself in the house and I'm trying to figure out what I was going to do. And uh, that year, the sixth book in the Harry Potter series, it started in 1997, the sixth book out of seven books was released. And there was a lot of hoopla with it, just as there had been every other book that had been released. And I thought, you know what? I've never read any of these books let me get the first book. Let me read it. I've got some time to myself. Let's see what's going what's gonna to happen with that. And so while Laura was gone, I got out in the hammock and read, started reading the book, and I couldn't put it down. And I finished it before she got back on the weekend trip. And then I began to read the rest of the books. I read book two, book three, book four, book five, and book six, not in one weekend, but uh, it took me some time to do that. There's some big, thick old books if you hadn't seen them. But uh, I did read those, and it kind of actually did fly through them because they're hard to put down. And then I had to wait like two more years to read the last book because it wasn't going to come out until 2007. But these books were amazing. I don't know if you've read them or not, seen the movies, but the story is, is, is captivating. The author, J.K. Rowling, is an amazing author and with a gift of writing that just sucks you in. And it's just an, it's an incredible story. And she sold over 500 million copies of the Harry Potter series. That includes... The digital copies, that includes the hardbacks, the softbacks, like the books you can actually hold in your hand kind of a thing. And the books themselves have grossed almost $8 billion uh, worth of money. And then the movies themselves, they made you know movies to follow the books. They also have grossed almost $8 billion on their own. So we're talking close to $16 billion. And that doesn't include the theme park uh, down in Universal. My family and I went down there. Uh, once we had the boys, we took them down there. And it's just amazing to go. It's just like you're you're transported to the scenery that you've read about or watched on the movies. And it's been very successful. And J.K. Rowling, 
uh, first got the idea when she was riding on the train and it kind of stuck with her. She began to write that. It took her several years to write the first book. And in the course of doing that, she found herself getting divorced. Her mother died. She was a single mom, uh, basically living in poverty. And then when she finally finished with the book, she tried to get it published. She had eight publishers reject her. I'm sure those eight publishers wish they could go back in time and change their minds because that ninth one has done pretty well in the publishing industry. And so uh, it's amazing. And, and the, the series is about a boy named Harry Potter who at age 11 discovers that he has magical powers, that he is a wizard and he goes away to a school of magic and he learns more about his powers. And basically he's the chosen one to lead the battle of all the people who do good with magic against the evil led by the evil sorcerer Voldemort who wants to take over the world, that kind of a thing. And so it's just this captivating story over seven books. Now, you might be wondering, is it okay for a Christian pastor, for Christians, people who follow Jesus, to be so excited about a series that has to do with magic? Because doesn't the Bible talk about how we shouldn't do magic, we should stay away from things like the occult and witchcraft, things like that? So let's just spend a few minutes talking about what that looks like. Absolutely in the Bible, there's passages against magic and magicians, things like that. But from my understanding, it's in specific circumstances when people are calling upon the devil to have power in the world to do things, and that certainly is wrong. There are other passages in the scripture where, where people are calling upon gods who don't exist. They believe they exist, but they don't really exist, and they're trying to get powers to do things in the world. So when we call on anything for power other than God, right? You know, Jesus, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's, we don't want to pursue that. We don't want to pursue powers outside of God. There's also, you know, passages in the Bible that they're probably, you know, talking about uh, using deceit, right? Kind of trickery to, to pull one over on somebody, to, to gain something for us and to kind of harm them. And so that's not something that we want to do either. But the magic that's in the Harry Potter books is make-believe. It doesn't exist. And it's, it's a device used in a story. And it's similar to other magic that we find in stories like Cinderella and Snow White, The Wizard of Oz. Lord, I have some friends that found out that, you know, we read the Harry Potter books, we watched the movies. And they're like, how can you do that? You're Christian. You, you can't do that. And, and at the same time, they said, we're so excited to be going to Disney because our daughters want to go see Cinderella and, and Snow White and all that. And, you know, I just politely said, well, what's the difference in the magic in one and the other? And it really opened up a good conversation that we had together. And so, again... The magic of stories, the magic of books, it's not real. It's make-believe. And I think it's a device to tell a story. And the way I kind of see that is that the magic in Harry Potter kind of symbolizes our power in life. Uh, and we all have power. We have influence. We have abilities, uh, some more than others. It just depends on what we do and where we are and where we find ourselves. But we all have power and influence and abilities to do things. And and how we choose to do that is important. We can use that for good or we can use that for evil. And so in the Harry Potter books, there's good magicians and there are evil magicians, all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of where I land on all of this. So why should Christians want to read Harry Potter? What's good about it? Well, I think overall, the plot's just amazing. It's about good versus evil. It's about love. It's about hope and courage. It's about family. It's about friends and relationships. It's about sacrifice. All the major things that we find in the Bible, I think 
most of them anyway, can, can be found in Harry Potter, which is kind of cool. It's a parallel uh, to some of the, the, the bigger arching themes that we believe that are real that come to us from Scripture. I think another thing that Harry Potter does is it helps us to look at the world and kind of look beyond just our everyday encounters of going to work, going to school, you know, whatever it is, going shopping or whatever. We look around in the world, and if, we're, if we look carefully enough, we'll see that there, there's stuff in the world beyond what we just see, that there's supernatural stuff in the world. In Harry Potter, it's magic, you know, with wands and broomsticks and things like that. But as followers of Jesus, we believe that there are spiritual powers in the world. There's God and goodness and there's the devil and there are angels and demons and all that kind of stuff. And so Harry Potter kind of awakens us that there's more to the world than, than meets the eye. And so it helps us to begin to think about what are the spiritual forces in the world and, and, and which ones are good and which ones are evil. Another thing I think is cool about Harry Potter as a Christian is it talks about some scars, just like I started out the message today with. And so I'd like to dive into that right now as, as we think about scars in our lives, because there's some cool stuff in Harry Potter about scars. And probably the most memorable scar that's in Harry Potter is that he has a lightning bolt scar on his forehead. And he was given that scar uh, in a terrible circumstance. When he was just 15 months old, before Harry was even two years old, the evil wizard Voldemort came to kill Harry's parents and to kill him because they were on the side of goodness. And so Voldemort comes in and he uses a killing curse and he kills Harry's dad and, and he kills Harry's mom and tries to kill Harry. Uh, but when he shoots Harry with the killing curse, it bounces back and ricochets and hits Voldemort, really messes him up. Uh, for several books, he's he's messed up like that, and, but it leaves this scar of a lightning bolt on Harry's head. And I want to read to you just a few quotes from the Harry Potter series. This is specifically from the first book in the Harry Potter story, The Sorcerer's Stone, or The Philosopher's Stone, as it was published originally, uh, that, that talk about the scar, and it's going to apply to our lives. So hang on, and let's just see how that does. The first quote comes from um, one of Harry's friends, who's an adult who works at the at the School of Magic, uh, Hogwarts, and his name is Hagrid. And this is what Hagrid says to Harry about his scar. Yes, that ain't no ordinary cut on your forehead, Harry. A mark like that only comes from being touched by a curse and an evil curse at that. All right, so Hagrid's explaining uh, that Harry had that scar because Voldemort used the curse to kill his parents and tried to kill Harry. Now, this next quote comes from a discussion from the headmaster of Hogwarts, the School of Magic, Wizardry, and all that kind of stuff. His name is Albus Dumbledore, and he's talking to a professor named Minerva McGonagall about Harry's scar. And let's see what, what they say. He'll have that scar forever. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in handy. I have one myself above my left knee that is a perfect map of the London Underground. Now, that's kind of funny. The London Underground is the subway system in London. Dumbledore says he has a scar that, that is the map of that, which makes things convenient when you're on the subway system. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. It's fiction. Of course, it's all made up. But anyway, I think the point here is that Dumbledore says that scars can be useful. That's an interesting idea. There might be something good to our scars. Maybe it's that when we look at our scars, we can see how far we've come from when we got hurt and how our lives have gotten better since then. I don't know. How could your scar 
be positive in your life. One more quote, uh, and this is from near the end of the first book where the headmaster, Albus Dumbledore, is talking to Harry about his scar. And he's explaining to Harry uh, why that scar is so powerful. Your mother died to save you. If there is one thing Voldemort cannot understand, it is love. Love as powerful as your mother's for you leaves its own mark. To have been loved so deeply, even though the person who loved us is gone, will give us some protection forever. So what's happened here is Harry figures out exactly what happened the night that his parents died. Voldemort killed his father with the killing curse. Then he was going to try to kill Harry, but Harry's mom jumped in front of it. She died. And in doing that, she released a special kind of magic, sacrificial love for her son, that then protected Harry, that Voldemort couldn't see. And so he shot Harry with the killing curse. Harry was protected by his mother's sacrificial love, and it, it backfired and messed Voldemort up. And then he had the, the scar of the lightning bolt on his forehead. So let's think about that. Something that was meant to be a curse ends up being related to sacrificial love that saves someone. Something that was intended to be a curse ends up being related to sacrificial love that saves someone. Does that sound familiar? For those of us who follow Jesus, it absolutely does. That's the good news. It's the story of Jesus. The curse that he died on the cross and he came back to life so that we can be saved. Let's jump to the Bible and learn more about what that looks like. I want to start in the book of Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament. Isaiah uh, was a prophet, and a prophet is a spokesperson for God. So God gave Isaiah a message to give to the people of Israel, and this was somewhere around the year 500, 550 years before Jesus was born. The people of Israel are in trouble. They've been disobedient as God. They've done evil things. And they're facing some, some tough discipline. Another nation has come in. They've defeated the Israelites. They've taken them into captivity. But God's not giving up on them yet. And God is sending Isaiah with a message of hope. And the specific message is that God's going to send a servant to come and to save the people of Israel. But it's not going to be the servant that necessarily they expect it to be. So let's read in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, uh, about 10 or so verses uh, about what this servant is going to be like. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form was marred beyond any human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. So Isaiah saying God's message of, my servant will be victorious, but this is not going to be any servant that you've ever seen before, not some fancy political or military leader. This is going to be a servant uh, who is lowly uh, and who is scarred and who is going to suffer. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. 
This is a servant that people are going to despise and is going to suffer and, and bad things are going to happen to him. This is not usually the kind of a, a person that God sends to save the day. So what's going on here? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this servant takes the punishment of the people of Israel upon himself. He suffers for the people of Israel. He suffers for their guilt. He suffers for their shame. And, and he suffers so that the people of Israel can be saved by God. Now, what's going to happen is that God's going to send a leader from the country of Persia named Cyrus to rescue the people uh, from their captivity, bring them back to the promised land of Israel. And that's going to be a military kind of operation to save them. And I, I think that's important. I think that's of God. I think there's some stuff in Isaiah that talks about the coming of, of Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, as he was known. But I think what Isaiah is talking about here goes beyond that. And it's actually talking about Jesus. Like, you know, 500 years from now, Jesus is going to come and he's going to save Israel, but not just Israel, all the people in the world. Right. And so Jesus, the son of God, God himself, who is perfect, is going to allow himself to be cursed to die on a tree and to, to be nailed on a cross, right? Made out of a tree. And in doing so, Jesus takes upon himself, Israel's and all people's guilt and shame from our wrongdoing, our sin when we do things wrong. Jesus is gonna take upon himself our death. The consequence of sin is death. We're gonna die. Our bodies are gonna die one day. And also the consequence of hell, being separated from God for eternity, Right? Jesus took all of that upon himself, our guilt and our shame, our death and our hell. Right? You talk about scars and brokenness, stuff that's just baggage on the inside of us. He took it all on the cross and he allowed himself to be cursed. Paul talks about it in the New Testament, this pastor guy named Paul, and he's writing to a church in Galatia. And he says that Jesus became a curse when he was, he was nailed to that tree. Right? And so by his wounds, we are healed. Right? Our sin and our guilt and our shame and our death and our hell, it, it's all healed. And it's replaced with joy and peace and life to the full on this earth and life forever in the kingdom of God. Right When we die and come back to life with, with a new body, right? that's what Jesus does for us. And so what's the point? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway? How does it relate here? I think today it's very simple. It's just straightforward out of scripture, right? So what? Right? By his wounds, we are healed. By Jesus' wounds, we are healed. Our sin, our death, our hell, our brokenness, our separation, our guilt, our shame, it is all healed and, and it's replaced with love and joy and peace and life to the full and life forever in the kingdom of God. Jesus heals those scars on the inside. The pain that we have from broken relationships and brokenness in our lives is healed by Jesus and it's healed by his wounds. Just like Harry Potter's mom sacrificed herself for her son, Jesus sacrificed himself for all of us, right? And so I love how the, the parallel stories are lining up here. We believe in the truth and the power and the gospel of Jesus. And, and somehow J.K. Rowling has tapped into that universal truth that, that goes all the way back to Jesus dying for us on the cross and coming back to life. By his wounds, we are healed. And what it means is that Jesus loves us and accepts us, scars and all. 
So we come to God broken. We come to God with sin in our lives. We come to God with guilt and shame. We come to God with scars that other people have inflicted upon us that we don't deserve, right? We've been abused and harmed by others, and it's not our fault, but it still hurts, right? Jesus is ready to help us, right, to be healed internally of all that stuff that goes on in our lives by his wounds. We are healed. That's the power of the gospel. And I hope that that's something that you've accepted. And if not, that you're ready to invite Jesus in now and, and to ask Jesus to heal you with his wounds and, and to ask him for forgiveness for the wrong things that you've done and to help let go of that baggage that other people have done to you when you haven't deserved it, right? This is an opportunity for us to receive the healing power of Jesus. One more book I want to read to you from, and this is from a biblical commentary that I, I was reading getting ready for today's message. And it talks about the, the gospel, the application of the gospel of Jesus, the good news that by his wounds we are healed. And I think it really applies to things in our lives right now, in the year 2020 in America. Because I think not only do we have individual like scars, I, I think we have scars as a nation in the United States of America. I think we have scars as, as a world. And I think, I think Jesus can help with that. Let me read to you uh, this quote uh, from this biblical commentary that I think is just, it's powerful, talking about the gospel of Jesus. A personal gospel that does not impel us into society is deficient. Right? This is the first of two parts of the quote. A personal gospel that does not impel us into society is deficient. What does that mean? We're in a loving personal relationship with Jesus when we ask him to be our Lord and Savior. That's a personal thing that happens to us. But God doesn't expect it to stop there. Right? If we've been healed by God, God expects us to go back, back out in the world and help other people who need healing, right? who need spiritual healing and emotional healing, that, that we can go to others and say, I've been healed by Jesus, so can you. And we invite them to church, and, and we want to go out and we want to tell them about what God's done for us in our lives. And so it's not just a personal gospel, it's a social gospel, and it's inspired by Jesus. Right? We see brokenness in the world and God calls us as followers of Jesus who've been healed to go out and, and to help bring healing. That we're supposed to fight against racism. We're supposed to fight against injustice. We're, we're supposed to try to bring our leaders and our nation together to figure out how not to make the coronavirus a political issue, but to make it a medical issue. And that we're all in this together. We've got to figure out a way to find healing together. Right? Our personal gospel can't just stop with us and God. It goes out into society, right? So let me read that again. A personal gospel that does not impel us into society is deficient. That's the first part. Now, let's see what the next part says. Just as a social gospel that does not spring from a transformed person is deficient. One more time. Just as a social gospel that does not spring from a transformed person is deficient. Okay, what does that mean? There's a lot of talk right now in America about social justice, and it's about time, right? I know we've had moments of social justice in the past, but, but we really need some social justice now. There's terrible things happening with racism, terrible things happening with injustice, terrible things happening with, with poverty and oppression and all kinds of things that continue to happen in our nation. And so there's a lot of stuff happening around social justice, and that's good. What this quote is saying about the gospel is, uh, that social justice that's not anchored in Jesus is deficient. It's going to be lacking, and it's not truly going to transform our nation as it could. Uh, because for social justice to really happen, people's lives have to be transformed on the inside by God. 
I think there are a lot of people right now who are jumping on the, the Black Lives Matter bandwagon, uh, which we certainly support, that Black Lives Matter and terrible things have been done and are being done to people in our nation because they have a black skin color, right? And that's so wrong. And, and there's been a lot of movement that Black Lives Matter. And that's so very important. And I think some people are, are, are truly acting out of the goodness of their hearts. I also think that some people are just giving lip service to this and they're just going along with the flow because it's the politically correct thing to do or it's a way to ensure that their customers keep coming or spending money in their store or it gets them reelected, right? And so social justice is not anchored in Jesus is deficient, right? Because it's going to fall apart at some point. The way that we change society and that we have social justice is that we let Jesus work through us because only Jesus can change us. Only Jesus can transform us, right? Jesus meets us where we are and helps us become something more. If we want to wipe out racism, then we have to do that one person at a time. If I want to wipe out racism in my life, right, I've got to allow Jesus to transform my heart and to fight against the prejudice and racism that I have in my own heart, right? That has to be something that happens inside of all of us. And, and then we work out in society, right? We come together as a church. We come together as, as the government. We, we come together to, to do social justice. But if that social justice is not anchored in Jesus, then at some point it's just going to fizzle away because people's lives haven't been transformed. We're just going through the motion. We're just giving it lip service. Social justice is not anchored in the transforming power and love of Jesus is deficient, right? So I love this quote. Right? I love this quote. I'm going to read it to you one more time. I know you're probably getting tired of it, but just one more time. Just let's listen to this, the two parts. A personal gospel that does not impel us into society is deficient, just as a social gospel that does not spring from a transformed person is deficient. So what does that look like in our lives? What can we do? I'd like to challenge you to do two things, right? And knowing that by his wounds we are healed, by Jesus' wounds we are healed. First thing would be just allow yourself to be healed by Jesus. Right? If you're carrying around baggage, if you're carrying around a, a relational uh, scars, if you're carrying around emotional, spiritual scars, right? carrying around sin and guilt and shame and death and hell, let Jesus heal you. That's why he came. That's why he died on a cross. That's why he came back to life. And right? I've talked about how we do that. We invite him into our lives. We confess the wrong things that we've done. We hand over the things that are weighing us down that are not our fault, right? We invite Jesus to come in and do what he came to do, and that's to heal us by his wounds, right? So if you haven't been healed by Jesus, I encourage you to, to allow him to, to, to come and to heal you. If you have been healed by Jesus, you've con converted, you, you've become a Christian, and, and some things have happened since then that you haven't been able to let go, and now it's time for you to ask Jesus to heal you, right? By his wounds, we are healed. The second thing I'd ask you to do is to help somebody with their pain in your life in the name of Jesus, right? If you see somebody in pain, try to help them, right? And do it in the name of Jesus, right? Remember our social justice, our work in the world, right? it's gotta be anchored in Jesus and the transforming power of Christ, right? So if you see someone who's battling an addiction that, that you've battled, who better than to help get them connected in the right place or support them? If, if you've survived abuse and you know of others who have survived similar abuse, who better than you than to speak into their lives and to encourage them and to talk about how God has helped you in your struggle? If you see racism or injustice or you see pain in the world, right, get involved, right? Jesus 
carried our sorrows and our pain, right? We are called to help other people be unburdened from their sorrows and their pain. And we do that through the power of Jesus. And, and, and maybe right, the pain that you're seeing in someone's life is spiritual, that someone is far from God and they don't even know how to articulate that, that they're, they're in a bad spot because they don't have a loving personal relationship with Jesus. If, if that's the case, right? Invite them to church. Tell them what God's done in your life. Connect them to God, right? Receive the healing of Jesus yourself and help ease people's pain in the name of Jesus. By his wounds, we are healed. When I was in the second grade and those scars came, the ridicule came, I remember the doctor saying to us to put cocoa butter lotion on the scars and it would help treat them. I misunderstood that as a seven-year-old. I thought it would cure them. And so we got this thick cocoa butter and every night I would put it under my scars and I would fill them in, kind of like you fill in a divot on a golf course. And I'd put so much cocoa butter lotion into my the holes on my head that, that, that they would be flush with the rest of my, my skin. And I believed and I prayed and I thought that in the morning that cocoa butter lotion would turn into skin and my, my forehead would be healed and it would be it would, it would look normal again. Of course, that never happened. And I woke up many days disappointed and sad. And thankfully, my parents were there and they helped me deal with that. And I, that was just a crushing blow. And I've discovered that right, Jesus heals our scars on the inside, but the outside scars we, we still have to live with. And, uh, now, the good news is that Jesus gave me the strength to get through that, to get through the ridicule, sent me family and friends who loved me and surrounded me with support. And pretty soon, I didn't care what people said. I still have the scars. I don't even see them anymore. It's just a, it's a part of my story. Right? Dumbledore said that our scars can, can have a good purpose. It's a part of my story. And I look back and see how God got me through that. And beyond that, God's got me through much worse. Through a lot of scars on my heart, a lot of scars on my soul. And God has healed those. And by his wounds, I have been healed. And my prayer and my hope for you is that by his wounds, you will be healed. Receive Jesus. Help ease the pain of someone in your life in the name of Jesus. By his wounds, we are healed. Be healed by Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now I'm excited to invite Cole and our praise team to come and lead us in our closing worship song as we sing about the powerful love of God that was displayed on the cross that by his wounds we are healed. Let's sing in response to God, thanking God for that tremendous,